Mississippi's Alex Pearson. Absolutely not. We've seen other racialized people have been also can be racist. It's just not about, we're not saying the teacher is racist. We've never come, came out and said the teacher is racist. The behavior of the teacher and the things that the teacher has done is racist. Well, until we get those facts, we don't know what we don't know. So let's stop guessing. Alex Pearson with you on this Thursday, March 9th. Yeah, boy, this week is uh, blowing on by. It's been a very, very busy, busy week. And then, of course, we go uh, into March break. So that is a coming by the minute. Good to have you here. I will uh, delve into all things China in our China crisis a little bit later in the show. There's lots of stuff to get through. And who knows what will drop by noon because it's dropping all the time now. But I want to dig into this because, you know, we used to have something called due process in this country. And now we got a lot of one-sided stories full of holes. And the latest is this story we have been talking about involving the six-year-old student at John Fisher Public School, where for now, the facts don't back the allegation. And the allegation is that racism was at the root of a punishment against this child. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe there's all sorts of evidence to back up what actually happened. But I can't, and, and we shouldn't label it anything until we've got some facts. Because they matter, or they used to. And the allegation comes from the boy's mother who claims that she and her child have been subjected to dozens of instances of discrimination at the school, claims that her child is the only black child in the class, that he was locked in a small room for punishment and forced to sit alone in a corner at a desk uh, with unpleasant uh, scribbling all over it. Now, these are her claims. They may be true, but until the evidence is revealed still a claim. And while the headlines have condemned the teachers and the staff who have been sent home in shame, there are an awful lot of parents and kids in that class rushing to their defense with their own claims. And I talked to one of the dads who's got a daughter in this particular class. He tells me the teacher is very popular, kind. You know, the kids and parents love him. Also points out that the teacher's racialized. And that there are several black children in this class that have had no issues. So the father claims that the uh, child's got a bit of a history of bullying other kids and has been disruptive. And that, you know, the mom hasn't been able to do anything to deal with it. Again, claims. These are his claims, not backed up by facts. And with all this under investigation and the school staff silenced and sent home and not allowed to defend themselves... We only have bits and pieces of this story, and it's generally the side that will spark immediate outrage. Claims of racism are serious. I mean, they are career-killing. And once it's even insinuated that one is racist, the smear does not go away, which may explain why there's been a lot of pushback, and not just from parents at the school, but now the Ontario Principals Council is weighing in, and they issued this statement in part on Tuesday, quote, Public elementary and secondary schools support addressing and eliminating systemic racism and the barriers stand in the way of this work in public education. However, we are becoming increasingly concerned about deliberately false narratives aimed at destroying the reputation and lives of dedicated educators who are carrying out this important work. We are confident that once this incident is thoroughly investigated, the evidence will show that the student in question was never placed in the room depicted in the media let alone with a closed or locked door, end quote. They also make pretty clear that they're not very happy that the TDSB apologized on behalf of the staff 
before the, you know, the investigation is complete. Well, yeah, they're right. Because the board in that moment convicted the staff before they had any due process. But why are we surprised? The TDSB, like other school boards, have gone all in, you know, adopting an ideological conformity on issues that allow no conversation, no questions, no forgiveness, no fault, no due process for anyone who doesn't buy in. And because of it, now everyone is just too scared to speak up or question anything. So they just kind of go along to get along and hope to God they don't do something wrong at any time, ever. And it's corrosive. It's not going to end well. And school staff and administration, they're never allowed, they are rarely, if ever, allowed to, to talk during incidents like this. And so it's significant. I think it's striking that the principal's council is saying something on this because they allowed these you know, ideological hardened policies to take root, and now they're starting to see the results. Now, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone would support locking any child in a closet but until the evidence is shown that that did happen, it is a claim. I suspect, here's my claim, not backed by fact because I wasn't out there doing the story, but here's my, my, my suspicion is that this six-year-old, like a lot of other six-year-olds, does have some challenges that cannot be supported in today's one-size-fits-all education system. And I suspect that if you're a parent of a child with you know, learning needs or behavioral needs, it is incredibly overwhelming. It can be extremely frustrating. And so I, I get the sense that this mom needs some help. So there can be a whole bunch of variables in a situation that go beyond what the actual accusation is. But in my mind, the facts matter, and they have to matter, and we need them. So I think we got to take a step back and wait for both sides to come in before stating what all of this is. And one of the big issues, one of the big creators of the misinformation is, well, first, rushing to judgment. Media has got to take a step back. We all play a part in this, for sure. But it's a lack of information that we cannot get from those in charge. You know, the boards, the school boards, officials, they just silence everything. They just give us no comment. And that's a really big thing that's becoming so normalized in this country, whether it is the police or our courts or our education or our political institutions. All we ever get is no comment when questions are asked and deservedly asked, like, what happened here? Can you tell us the facts? All we get is no comment. So we get no transparency which then leads to a lot of guessing that fills in the blanks and then that becomes a truth but it's not the truth, it's someone else's truth. That's got to stop. I don't know what, how we got to this point where we just accept no comment or, you know, there's a judge right now, a Supreme Court judge in this country, sits at the top court and there's some story that he has been taken off the bench because of an investigation into what? I don't know. You don't know. No one knows. We're not allowed to know. And we just go, okay, I'll just wait for them to tell us. Well, they're not going to tell you. They won't say anything. And that's the thing. We don't get information. So it fills up with innuendo or rumor or gossip. 
not healthy. This is not what it's like in the United States for all the flaws we like to throw at our neighbors. They don't do this. They're out there within minutes. Here's what happened. Here's what I saw. Here's the information we've got now. We'll update you later. And that's within like hours or minutes. We don't do that here. But it happens all the time. So I'm of the mind, let, let's just uh, let the investigation play out. We are going to be, hopefully, we're uh, reaching out to this principal's organization to uh, chat with them. Uh, we're trying to arrange that now. Um, you know, because I don't think this is the first time it's happened. But again, this is the new norm. This Friday marks the fourth anniversary of the crash of that doomed Boeing Max Ethiopian air flight. Remember that? Four years. That's where we are. And that was one of two planes that would crash just five months apart because of a malfunction over uh, this instrument that would override the pilot setting the plane into an automated nosedive. And 157 passengers, including 18 Canadians, were killed that day. And the families are still waiting for the justice and support that they were promised. And they are now trying to overturn a court settlement made between the Department of Justice and Boeing, which, of course, they believe was illegal because they were completely cut out of this. And there are other separate ongoing cases, one in Chicago. And on Friday, on the 10th, the families are going to be marking the loss of their loved ones, protesting on the steps of the Department of Justice to remind them that they're still there. And on those steps will be Chris and Clarice, who are driving from Toronto to D.C. to fight for their 24-year-old daughter, Danielle. Chris uh, and uh, Clarice, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You are driving to Washington. You still have to fight for your daughter, Danielle. And uh, four years, you know, it's it's not until you see the date that you realize it has been a really long time um, to get action on this, and yet you still fight. That's correct. We've, we've been struggling for those last four years. It's been all uphill. Clarice, tell me how has it been going through this journey? I mean, it is such a um, it's such a grief of the impact when it happens. And then, of course, in the days that followed, everyone rallies around and everyone promises you things and everyone says they'll be with you. And then ultimately, you and Chris are, are fighting for yourself as well as the rest of the families uh, who just want answers, accountability and justice for your loved ones. And so how has it been for you over the last four years? Um, for the last four years, our life, our life has always been a struggle since Daniels died, since March 10th. Mm -hmm. And not only every year, but every day you wake up and you go through that process again. And then especially when we go to all these trials, we have a little bit of hope. And then suddenly yeah. it closes the door again. So really for us, we could not really heal. We could not start healing until we will have that justice. Daniela always say yeah. that, have this saying, for without struggle, there is no fulfillment in reaching that goal. Fight for what you believe in, fight for your dreams, because mm -hmm. you deserve no less. And I think that quote of Danielle, I carry that on every trip that we go to either Texas, 
to Washington, D.C., to Virginia, to Ethiopia, wherever we will be. Because without the justice, especially when the OJ took away the voice of Danielle and not considered her victims and the other families of that 8302, that's another closing door and the wound keeps getting deeper and it's not telling when you don't have that. Um, our trip yeah. for today is just another reminder. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, well, Danielle, for our listeners who might not be aware, I mean, she was on her first mission, uh, doing a U- United Nations mission. I mean, she was someone who fought for change, wanted to be part of change. And so she must have gotten it from uh, both of you because now you're doing it uh, for your daughter. And and Chris, I know other families will be there on the steps. It's not It's not that you're alone in this, but you're alone with other families also fighting for this justice. And what is it that you're trying to get across uh, in your message tomorrow? Uh, well, I think the main thing right now, um, we've, we have actually had the, the court determine that we're victims. Uh, the Department mm-hmm. of Justice has actually said that we are not victims. It's the FAA who is the victim here and not the people who died on the plane. Um, so we're, we're fighting that a bit because I, I don't believe that they're still with that. But also, we've tried to, um, we had to try to get uh, Boeing arraigned, and uh, they pled not guilty. Um, and so what happened is that the, the judge, in the end, has decided that he can't do anything with respect to the de- uh, deferred prosecution agreement. It still stands. And uh, he, he says that he can't do anything without uh, Congress empowering him. And uh, we we feel that that's rubbish. They can do more things, uh, and our lawyers know exactly how to do that. And so they've actually appealed it, the decision. So we just want to remind the Department of Justice, like you said, we're there, mm-hmm. and um, we're still fighting for this. And, um, yeah, we just think that this whole thing has been cooked up between the Department of Justice and Boeing. Yeah, I mean, Bob Clifford is uh, is acting on, on your behalf. He's done a lot of these big aviation uh, cases. So so you are in good hands uh, when it comes to, to the lawyers. But, uh, Chris, um, I do want to point out, I mean, since this uh, tragedy, this, this uh, in some ways, I think some would say criminal uh, issue, I mean, um, the plane, you were fighting for the safety because, I mean, this is a, a fleet that was grounded for a long time, but you were very, uh, you and Clarissa were very very concerned about the safety of this plane, which is now back in in circuit. Have they made the changes? Were you able to win any of the concerns that you were 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 uh, believing that were out there? No, not at all. Uh, what they've done is they've made they've fixed the MCAS, so to speak. It's not it's not as good as let's say Airbus, um, mm. the the trim system, but um, they they have improved it. But the thing is that they're still grandfathered hazards on this plane let's not forget mm-hmm. that this is a 50 year old plane and they still have a crew alert system that's essentially analog um and so the the, the pilots still have to uh, really have to know that plane inside and out um there's a you know a thousand page manual that they have to understand to fly that plane um it's it's uh, we're at the, whereas the new planes they have um Everything is digitized. It's in front of them. They know exactly uh, everything. All the troubleshooting has already been done for them. With the 737, the pilots have to do all the troubleshooting. 
Yeah. You know, Clarice, um, too often, and, and it's almost automatic that these stories, they turn from grief and questions to politics and lawyers and legal battles. But ultimately, for you and, and Chris, it's about Danielle and the others uh, who died that day. And how do you keep her alive? What do you want people to know about her, um, you know, as you go through this? Danielle, Danielle always fight for justice. Danielle is for the people, for the people that she met, for the community. She's the voice. And for them to take away that voice, we don't really have a choice but to keep standing. And even though that door will close again, we will be there. We will always be Danielle's voice. We will carry her. We will pick up the pieces and continue fighting for that justice. So that way, other families will not be going to the same process as we're going. Uh, at least we can save other families for the torment and the grief that we're going through. That one person, like we celebrated Women's International Day, and I think of Danielle and all those wonderful, beautiful women that their purpose in life is to better our world. And yet, they were the justice and their voices was been taken away. So that kept me going to fight for the justice and to be the voice of Danielle and all those victims. Yeah. And I know uh, one of the families or one of those people will be there is Paul uh, Nerogi, uh, who lost his entire family, five people. Do you, do you get comfort, Chris, uh, f from being around uh, these other families? Oh, yes. We get comfort from all the other families because they're, they're going through the same thing that we are. And, yeah. um, you know, this is something that the average person doesn't understand, no. that we don't have a switch that we can switch off um, mm -hmm. for this pain. But when other people, when you when they explain it to them, they they can switch it off because they don't have to go through it. But we do. And it's mm -hmm. um, it is it, it's uh, terrifying. Even at night, you wake up and you you think about these things. You'll always think about them, sadly, but um, today we think of you and tomorrow we'll think of you and uh, Danielle. And I very much appreciate uh, you joining us and certainly we'll continue following this journey and I'll uh, wish you both a safe drive. And we, we appreciate you for keeping this uh, alive as well because um, it, it's not going to, to end until we get justice. 100%, 100%. Thank you very much to both of you. That is uh, Clarice and uh, Chris Moore. They are the parents of Danielle Killed on that Ethiopian flight and they are on their way to DC and they're not going to stop and uh, the problem is they shouldn't have to do this you know they were promised things by our government by the US government and you know follow through that is the least these people deserve that's it so we will continue following that Can. I think the fact that Toronto District School Board acted swiftly is a good sign. This is what we we expect. This is the type of response that is that that is needed. I think you know someone I saw call online for a swift and and fair um, investigation. That's exactly what we want. We want it to be swift. We want a thorough investigation by a third party investigator to uncover what exactly is happening and make sure the right people are in place 
to um, repair the wrong. And Charlene Grant uh, with this group, Parents of Black Children. And uh, until that investigation is done, we don't know what did or did not happen at this school where the teacher and the VP and the principal are now on home duty and they can't defend themselves. And we're talking about allegations of racism that are not proved. And, uh, you know, they come from the mother of the child in question who is making the claim and the claim being that there have been dozens of instances of discrimination at the school and that her child was locked in a small room as punishment and forced to sit alone at a desk with unpleasant uh, scribbles. That all may be true, but but we don't know. And until we know, we just don't know what we don't know. And the administration has yet to be investigated. They've yet to say, you know, have their say. The Toronto District School Board's already come out and apologized, uh, which is you know, prompted the Ontario Principals Council to send out a statement, you know, expressing concern. And, and what they say is, quote, false narratives aimed at destroying the reputations and lives of dedicated educators who are carrying out our important work. We are confident that once this incident is thoroughly investigated, the evidence will show that the student in question was never placed in the room depicted in media reports or the door locked. Um, and so, look, uh, again, it's called due process, and that's what we need here. I want to bring in Patsy Agar. She's with the provincial uh, president of the Ontario Principals Council, and uh, I appreciate that. But you're also a principal with the Ottawa Carleton District Board. Um, so I appreciate, Patsy, you joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Alex. And I know you can't speak specifically to this case, so I'm not going to ask you to kind of weigh in on that. But I will ask you to weigh in on why your organization felt so important um, to speak out. Um, I, I won't comment on a specific case, so thank you. I appreciate that we won't be referring to that. But this is an ongoing issue for us in terms of the treatment that principals and vice principals are receiving across many districts when an allegation occurs. Right. So it's not new. And I, I mean, where there's one case, there's probably many, many more. And so is this a new phenomenon? Is this, uh, you know, in the culture of today or, or is this an ongoing issue? This is an ongoing issue. The, the biggest change, I would say, is that we have many cases, particularly in Toronto, that become media focused. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the problems is we get a little bit of information and then it fills up with a lot of conjecture, uh, opinion or, you know, stuff. What we don't often get is the other side of the story. And a lot of times that may be because the board doesn't talk or maybe the principal cannot talk. So they can't defend themselves. Um, and that's why we fill up with a lot of, uh, you know, misinformation. And, and frankly, um, we don't do ourselves any favors doing that. But what is the process uh, once an allegation like this comes in for the upper administration? Are they automatically like put on house duty and told to be quiet? So we understand and we support the need to investigate allegations that are brought forward. And, you know, these allegations can come from parents or from advocacy groups. And the board does have an obligation and responsibility to investigate, but they also have a responsibility to ensure that employees are treated fairly and respectfully and that the process is timely. So the process does exist. Our issue is oftentimes comments are made before the investigation is even started 
and the investigations are taking far too long. How long do they take? They vary. Uh, we have, if we look at our data around uh, principals that have been assigned to home, it could take days, but we do have people that have been at home for three years. Wow, three years. Yes. That's insanity. I mean, we have a court system that you have to be in front of a judge within 18 months. Three years is unacceptable if someone can't, because as I understand it, a principal, this principal or the vice principal, they can't speak. Uh, and if they do, I mean, they're on their own. They, you know, there are privacy concerns in terms of these investigations. We are dealing with students generally or staff. So there are privacy issues that um, mean that we can't speak to yeah. specific incidences. So, you know, the information is coming out, but we're not able to talk to the incident or defend ourselves one way or the other. Yeah. And so when you give me a number like that, three years, like I'm thinking this is probably going to take the rest of the school year, um, you know, but but it shouldn't be that way. The, I mean, the, the parents want kids in school with the teachers that they know. Uh, it, it has such a huge impact. Um, but but and the other thing is the administration are not part of the union, so they don't get that protection. But do they get, uh, Patsy, protection from some kind of legal advice? Do they get lawyers? Our association, the Ontario Principals Council, does support the principals involved in these situations. Uh, but the board is the employer, and they have a procedure that they have to follow, and principals have to adhere to that, to that process. That, that seems like an impossible and unsustainable system. I mean, I get it. You're hired into management. It comes with a lot of responsibility. But there also has to be a mechanism that if you're accused of something, whether it's racism, sexual assault, harassment, whatever the allegation, especially in today's climate, there has to be a mechanism of a timely process and an option for the person to, to have uh, the supports around them. Um, you know, it's not uh, and it seems like the board controls all of that. And we would agree with you. What we ultimately would like is a fair, just, transparent, and timely process when investigations occur, because it is having a detrimental impact on our members or on principals when the process takes too long. So what needs to happen to expedite that? Because I agree with you. I mean, even suggesting someone has committed a crime, whether it's sexual harassment, sexual assault, a racism, th those things don't just go away because the accusation goes away. That kind of just stays with you. You're always kind of under that cloud of suspicion. So it is very damaging. But how can and, and you know, can you actually get a, a better process? The processes do exist within boards. What we require is that they, be, that they are consistently followed. And the timely piece is the one that I really want to emphasize here. Uh, we... Principals want to be back in their schools as quickly as possible. And in many instances, the assigned to home means that there is not a communication yeah. with the school in any way. Well, no. And, and there's no way of defending yourself, um, possibly for months, if not years. And, and, you know, this is not the only case of this. And so moving forward, I mean, we seem to be in this climate now where everyone's very sensitive, everyone's very highly wanting to make sure no one does anything wrong or says anything wrong. So everyone's walking on eggshells. But we have a process that's very antiquated and doesn't keep up with the times. That That's kind of how I see it. Um, and I'm not sure the board 
um, you know, understands that? Or, or are they hearing or do they actually hear this? I can't speak for the school board. I, um, you know, I think they are aware of the issues and would like to work with us on resolving some of them. But the process really does need to be consistent, clear, and it needs to be followed in the, in the same manner by all of the senior staff at the school boards. Right. I mean, the school board has already come out and apologized. And so when they do something like that, they've already altered the process. Shouldn't it be an independent process? Is there no way to get it like that so that, yes, it can be expedited, that the independent um, branch then can focus on this and only this, and then therefore it takes all of the, the kind of political interests out of it? Is there not an independent way we can get this? Well, each school board has their process that they follow, and in some boards it is an independent investigator, others boards it's not. Um, what we're looking for is consistency and in terms of uh, school boards, that they not come out so quickly mm-hmm. and, um, you know, comment on alleged incidents or apologize before the investigation has even started or when it's in its early stages. Yeah, it is a very, they, they control everything, essentially, is what you're telling us. Like, they seem to control everything. And, and, and is there an independence to the investigation itself or is the school board doing everything? As I said, it does vary from board to board. Each board has a different process that they follow. Boy, oh boy. Well, stay tuned on this one. Uh, But it is a a tricky case, as they all are. Patsy, appreciate your time on this. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Patsy uh, Agard with this uh, Ontario Principals Council. So uh, the process itself does not lend itself to due process. Can you imagine being accused of something and you have to wait for three years for your chance uh, to have your say? That's not acceptable. There has to be a hard line. There has to be a timely, and the board's got to do this. They've got to put a timely investigative period in. And if you're going to make an accusation like we do in the courts, there has to be a time limit on how long you're going to make someone wait to clear their name. That is not acceptable. I'm so, that's not acceptable. You can't make an accusation about someone and not allow themselves to defend themselves or have a timely um, investigation. That's just, it's, it's not feasible. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, that will do it for us. Um, it's been a very busy day. But yeah, here we are, edging ourselves to the end of the week. So that'll do it for me. I will thank Miss Heather Burton. I will thank Corey Manuel, of course. And we'll see what uh, you know happens throughout the day. And we'll chew it on, on it on Friday. Thank you for listening. I'm Alex Pearson, back here with you on Friday on 640 Toronto.